0: Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin.
1: Are you watching closely?
0: How to start. I just, I'm bored.
2: What plaything can you offer me today? In life itself, a memoir, Roger begins. I was born inside the movie of my life.
1: I was born a poor black child.
2: The visuals were before me. I was born in it, molded by it. The audio surrounded me. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. First, the frames flicker without connection.
1: We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised.
2: We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film, Tristram Shandy, a Cock and Bull story, one minute at a time. Good Lord, what is this story all about? Cock and Bull Story Here's your host, me, Robert Black. We're here to talk about um, uh, I wanna say group six, but who knows? All the numbers are out of order and numbers <laughs> don't matter anymore. Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance versus Synecdoche, New York. Once again, my guest, Professor Sarah Black. Hi. Hello. You wanted to talk about Mike, is that should we start there?
0: Sure. We can start there because, like you said, nothing matters and <laughs> it certainly doesn't matter. So, we can jump ahead to Emma and Mike. So, do you think that Emma's character counts as a manic pixie dream girl? Wait, the daughter? Yeah. She has... Okay, so here are some, some things about her character. Okay. She has the edginess-recovering addict sitting off the side of a building playing cute, quirky truth-or-dare games. Okay. And it's like we're supposed to believe that she could just go off kind of at any given moment. She's not quite stable, and she was damaged by a man, her father, who wasn't there for her when she was growing up, which while they don't say straight out that he's his lack of a presence is responsible for her addiction. It's implied.
2: Okay, I, you're making you're saying you're making good points about her as a character, but I don't think that makes her at all um, the manic pixie dream girl because she's not energetic enough for one. But I think in her her specific role to the lead character, she doesn't do any of that stuff for him. She's more like a symbolic, like one one more sign of his failures as. Not just an actor, but as a man.
0: So is that... And I'm asking because I I genuinely don't know movie tropes as well as you. Is or for someone to qualify as a Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope, do they have to be serving the main character or only have a relationship to a man in the film where those qualities are demonstrated?
2: I think... Well, primarily they fit the main plot because they're usually part of a romantic storyline and a main, like, in a romantic comedy. You could have one in a different role. I never really thought about that. But I don't know if she's that for Mike either because what does he get out of being with her? He, he At the end of the film, he's the same person he was before.
0: Yeah, she's certainly not doing the humanizing uh, the it, man it, growth thing. It's but.
2: almost like if she were in a sequel and now it was about her, that's who she'd be. Like it'd be some other guy comes into her life and now it's his story of meeting her. But she's, she's in that stage right before she becomes it, where she could. Cause yeah, the playing truth or dare and even the having the toilet paper thing that she writes on is like quirky, but it's quirky in this like disturbing dark way. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they make us write this in rehab to represent all of the people. <laughs> it's like exactly. a fucked up. Yeah.
0: I don't really enjoy how any of the women are presented in this film. Certainly not her for the reasons that you and I have just said. But going back to Emma and like specifically, she says that he's cool because he doesn't care what anybody else thinks about him. And he says that's why he acts like a dick, because honestly, he doesn't care what others think about him. He knows if he acts like a dick, then they'll have low expectations and he'll be off the hook at being honest or authentic or emotionally intimate with anybody. And she comes across really... I don't know, that seems like such a teen girl or underdeveloped girl thing. Like, I love him, because he's just such a cool badass, and you don't care what anybody thinks. Like, caring what other people think is a sign of well, but that emotional also, maturity. But that <laughs> like, also
2: makes Mike actually closer to a Manic Pixie Dream Girl than I yeah. heard that. Because he comes in out of nowhere, he's good at all this stuff, he cha- he changes the main character. Like, immediately in their first scene together, he makes him change how he wrote the script. Uh, as I pointed out last time, taking away exact lines from the original story and he, you know, interacts with her and is, he, he's like, he's not, he's not normal. She's normal is the thing. She did just go through rehab and has some problems.
0: Which but, is normal. A lot of people. Right.
2: But he is like, I do whatever the fuck I want. It doesn't matter what it does to anyone else. Take off my clothes in the middle of the room. Cause why not? And tell people what to do. Change lines. Try to have sex on stage.
0: So, is the film trying to tell us that that's a good thing or not, Mike? Yeah. Are we supposed to, as an audience, look at Mike and revere that, or or is the film? I I don't think so.
2: I think I think we have to assume the movie is entirely from Riggins' point of view, which means Mike is one more. He may be male, but he's one more problem in Riggins' life. Is like this type of person that comes around. He has some sort of natural talent or natural charisma, so everyone is attracted to him and everyone wants him to do things, but he just gets in Riggins' way. Just like the women all want something from Riggins in the way the story is presented, and so that's how Riggins sees the world, because he's like this egocentric guy who was important once upon a time.
1: It wasn't him, Charlie, it was you. Remember that night in the garden, you came down my dressing room and said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, Which is what I am. Let's face it. You
2: know, he was a he was a celebrity. He's a star.
0: He was huge,
2: He still gets families coming up to him for photos.
0: Yeah. Which is a problem if we're supposed to look at Birdman as a hero, because his views of women and them just being parasitic is not very well, good.
2: <laughs> but that's what I think is it's his views. I don't think it's the film's views. The film doesn't present that. It, it, it isn't offered. The film doesn't give itself the opportunity to present them outside his view, which is problematic if you don't get it. But if you realize the film is just following him and everything's going to be how he sees the world,
0: it's... Well, it's left open to our interpretation, especially with the ending. Oh, yeah. We're supposed to view Birdman. Two things. One of the things that bugs me about this film is we... I think we could agree. Birdman's angry. He's full of rage. He's full of self-loathing.
2: Do you mean Reagan or do you mean Birdman?
0: Reagan, sorry. <laughs> and <laughs> it feels like... We, as the audience, are given this angry, rageful, self-loathing, toxic white alpha male, and we're supposed to empathize with his fading into obscurity. Yeah. And I don't know why I should care.
2: (laughs) A lot of the audience won't care, and it's not like this was a blockbuster film that everyone saw and loved.
0: And then even his deal with art, he says that he wants to create real art, but then he almost backs out of the last preview until, I think that's his stage manager, right? The one who's always coming in and talking to him, who lies to him and tells him a bunch of famous people will be in the audience just so he'll go out is and that, do the preview. Wait,
2: who is that? who tells him that? Is that Merritt Weaver or is that Zach Galifianakis?
0: Probably Zach. I'm okay. terrible with, yeah, characters. character. Right? Weaver is the,
2: she was on... Um, well, it's not a woman. Yeah, oh,
0: I know okay. who Merritt Weaver is, so okay. it's got to be Jack.
2: I was just thinking about her character when you were talking about the women because it was like... It's weird that the assistant character is one of the few women who doesn't seem like she's a problematic character as a woman. She just mm-hmm. happens to be the assistant, so it's like her position is lower, but she's not.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh But Zach is his agent and his producer. I
0: think. Okay. So Zack, the agent and the producer. And his best friend. Has to come and tell him the night of the last preview yeah, that a bunch that of famous indeed. people. So even as a character, he's full of crap.
2: hmm We we should get that right off the bat. I mean, our opening shot of him is him floating in the air in a movie we haven't been told is going to be about, like, magical things necessarily. I think the trailer did include the weird explosions and the giant bird, but that just confused everyone.
0: Yeah. And I've got to go back to something you said earlier so that we can transition and talk about Leslie. Yeah. You said when you were talking about Mike that he tried to have sex on, sex with, well, you didn't say with Leslie, but you said right, try to stage, have sex right. on stage. And I think that's that was interesting phrasing and how men and women view things differently. Because as I was noting this, I wrote, Mike tries to rape Leslie on stage. Sorry, should have had a content warning before.
2: <laughs> uh, there is a warning mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show that yeah. says there's adult subject
0: matter. Okay. Adult <laughs> language, I what it says. So I had a different read of that scene mm-hmm. that made me... Hate Mike.
2: <laughs> it's it's definitely uh, yeah no it's definitely forceful. I I was more talking about him as a character is that he thinks just having sex on stage is going to be some amazing performance piece in that moment, regardless of whether she's involved or not. At that point in the movie, I don't remember if they've broken up yet. I think it's after that. That's part of why is why she breaks up. Yeah. So no, that read is valid certainly.
0: <laughs> then we have Leslie and. Well, we have Leslie backstage after this scene, dealing with it, where she says that she had always wanted to be a Broadway actress from mm-hmm. the time she was a little girl. She had perceptions about this role and identity, what being a Broadway actress would well, yeah. mean to her. And then she worked hard to claim that identity for herself. But now that she is a relatively successful Broadway actress, she has a lead in the show. She says that she still feels like a little kid. And how many of us do this? We think once we have a degree, once we have a real quote-unquote career, once we have all the things that we think will change our lives, we realize that while we enjoy these things and while they can indeed influence our self-perception and self-concept, that there's still this essence of us that remains the same.
2: Which comes back to the main thing with Reagan so, as well. Yes. <laughs> Is it, we're constantly thinking we're something we aren't regardless of what other people think of us. I was trying to think of the, regarding Leslie, what the point plot wise is, not plot wise, but like what they were thinking in writing it, that she's the one who brings Mike in. And apparently they're in a relationship. So it's like by bringing in this guy who's really successful, who she's in a relationship with, she pushes herself backward, which is.
0: Well, I think that's why I don't like a lot of representation of women in this film is that's what they're doing actively
2: it, fucking with their own position, yeah.
0: To support men.
2: Well, even, Bad even, men. um, forgot her character's name again, Mandy. Uh, Linda? Yeah. Is it Linda? Maybe. <laughs> Is, we don't know how she got the part, but she's definitely sleeping with the director and the writer.
0: Right, because that's how women get Because she might be right? pregnant. Yeah.
2: And so, maybe they've been in a relationship for a long time, or, I don't know, the, it, the movie starts at a certain point, ends at a certain point, it's a It's not a long time frame for the story. It's like four days.
0: And coincidentally, or maybe not so much, Leslie only calms down after this scene when she's validated by another man. Yeah. against the one who calms her down. And then we get... It's Laura, not Linda. Laura. So is she with Laura in this scene? Or the scene right after it? Who's she in the dressing room with? Laura. Okay, yeah. That's what I thought. So in this particular scene, we have another... Male fantasy mm-hmm. of them. This definitely is not passing the Bechdel test either. All the women in this film just, they're, they're weak and secure and they're there to serve men. And it bugs me. And I didn't know why I didn't like, it's not even that I don't like the film. There are things about this film that I like, but why it put me off, why it bugged me, especially well, the first time I saw no, it, I get that, that was it. I, <laughs> yeah.
2: I do think that that is very, it is a deliberate thing, not like usual sort of tropey writing. Like, the choice to make the women all that way. But, yeah, that can be problematic to watch, because why would you want to watch that, generally? in that scene in particular, yeah, it's a fantasy that, like, what happens when these two women go backstage and one's upset? Of course, if we're taking this film as Riggins' point of view, he's going to imagine, oh, they Mm -hmm. must make out back there, and that's what makes everything fine, because that's what women do. So, yeah, the the movie is full of problematic stuff like that. But that's part of why I like it as a film. Not necessarily... I don't like but films because they're have like because they have great messages. I mean sometimes I do, I love movies like that.
0: But We're the thing about is, sorry to know, But the thing is if we have so many films that are reinforcing the same negative messaging and and the films are not actively making a critique and we also don't have films very rare with counter messaging then that's still what's being reinforced and in minds and how viewers are developed. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: (laughs) What I wonder then is, I think in this case, it comes down to does the film in the end or not necessarily literally in the end of the film, but after the fact, do you take away from the film that is promoting these ideas as real and good or is it criticizing them? Because in the end, Riggin doesn't, it doesn't end well. Like he,
0: But in the film, doesn't it end well? I mean, it's not really a morality play there. I don't know. It doesn't really seem... What would you point to in the film that's making a critique of
2: that? For a general audience, I don't think it has anything.
0: Yeah. (laughs) In the general audience... But
2: it's also not a film for a general audience. Uh, That's an interesting question. Because my perspective and what the audience would see aren't necessarily the same thing. In the, when the, the, even at the beginning of this film, like immediate scene with his voiceover narration and like the scene where he smashes his room, I see it as a... Wow. It's an interesting question because it comes down to my impulse versus what does the audience see. How objective am I? Because I immediately see Regan as a horrible person that while we can empathize with him because it definitely Mm. is like humanizing this bad person, he doesn't do much that's good in the entire film.
0: Right, and I don't think we need to, or I don't even particularly enjoy watching films where it's like, here's an example of a good person doing amazing things. Right. Captain America, like, but... Captain America is great. It's more... <laughs> I, I understood that reference. It's more just, if we look at films as a major genre of mass media that hmm. is shaping our attitudes, our values, and beliefs, and we have... Most of our representations, of women specifically, I guess, because that's what I was just talking about, are negative. They're muses, or they're men and pixie dream girls, or they're viewed horribly, or they're only to serve Regan And that's what an audience is seeing repeatedly without counter-messaging. I think that shapes who we are as a society, and I think we can see the outcome of that societal shaping through a huge threat of rights that we have currently.
2: I was just thinking about the end of the film in that, you know, he, I was going to say accidentally, but it's not accidental. He shoots himself on stage. He grabs a gun, he checks the clip, doesn't let Annie put the uh, wig with the squib on his head, and goes out on stage and shoots himself, just like the character they mentioned in Carver's story and earlier in the film, and messes it up. Which is, you know, bad, right? He's given up. But then what do we get afterward is at the hospital, his ex-wife and his daughter are there, like, lovingly and checking on him because now everything's fine. And his review of the show is great. Yeah. If we take any of what happens after he shoots himself as real, the messaging yeah, at the end of the movie is not good. Right. <laughs> I... I I think when I first saw it, I imagined that scene is real until he jumps out the window and then literally he died. I wonder if there's a clue in the film that we're supposed to take as the entire scene in the hospital isn't real. Like, he did succeed in shooting himself Yeah, I was going
0: to say, we could build some the whole end is alternate theory. Was, was it that? Because
2: otherwise, you get at the end this sort of reification of this, like, submission of women mm-hmm. and, like, he's, the man's in pain, the women have to come to his side and fix everything.
0: But if even we have, even a review, you know? But if we have to invent some alternate theory to try to make the film better than it is, I'd say there's a directorial yeah. problem. Or Yeah, or a writing
2: problem, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. And you really need to watch Joker, by the way.
0: <laughs> I don't think anyone in your audience will I've, hear I've, me rant I've, about I've, Joker. I've mentioned my
2: watches. couple rants I recorded <laughs> about Joker that didn't go well, because they were recorded at a bad time of day and the energy was wrong. So I never released him, but that I think is much more of the bad version of what you're talking about. Yeah, because in the end, all of that stuff is good. Where I don't, for, I'm not sure what it is specifically in Birdman. I'd have to break it down, as we said, right. okay? go to go into this like a movies by minutes thing and do it one minute at a time to see where is the audience ever told that Reagan's good? Inevitably, the audience is stupid. Sorry audience. <laughs> you're all idiots. Actually, if you're listening to the show, you're probably not that bad. But generally speaking, the audience is stupid. They see a main character and they assume he's good, everything he's gonna do is good, and this movie is promoting him. I mean, they love, people love Taxi Driver for right. entirely wrong reasons. And now Joker, which is basically just a remake of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, like smashed together. We get movies like that and it,
0: it... it's not that...
2: Is it the responsibility of the filmmaker to tell the audience they're wrong?
0: I think it's the responsibility of the filmmaker to be able to craft a message for an audience to analyze. Like, audience analysis is one of the basics.
2: It'd be interesting because you've seen both. um, To compare, like, Taxi Driver and First Reformed. Yes. Because they're written by the same guy. Oh. And the tone and the ending... And sort of the messaging, in a way, I think are very different and were taken... I mean, Taxi Drivers now have been seen by far more people because it's, you know, a classic. But if that many people saw First Reformed, would they take it the same way they take Taxi Driver?
0: I don't know. I should see First Reformed again. I've got to be honest. I didn't particularly like Taxi Driver as the film.
2: (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) I, I, I have a tendency, regardless of... No, that's not true. I think Joker is proof that this is what I'm about to say is a lie. I appreciate a film separate from its messaging or it's like what it's like not what it's trying to do, but like what it's doing
0: mm-hmm.
2: and take it like on its merits is it a sta- is it accomplishing something is it well put together is it acting good is it does it play is like even the dialogue here sounds most of the time like real people or pretentious people when it's pretentious
0: and I think when most of the films are made for you, it's easier to do that. Yes. However, when most of the films are not made for you and you keep seeing the same negative depictions over and over again, you're far less forgiven. Yeah. So I, I do think the film has some positive messaging in terms of dealing with the ego and how it's never satisfied. So this film, especially in the the scene with him, Shooting himself, but throughout the film, it's like the ego is always craving more. He says, I don't exist. I'm not even here before he shoots himself in the head for the theater audience. In Carver's play, they say the character gave his own life to love through suicide.
2: If you call that love, you can have it. It was love, Terry said. Sure, it's abnormal in most people's eyes, but he was willing to die for it. He did die for it.
0: I sure as hell wouldn't call it love, Mel said. I mean, no one knows what he did it for. I've seen a lot of suicides, and I couldn't say anyone ever knew what they did it for. Mel put his hands behind
2: his neck and tilted his chair back. I'm not interested in that kind of love, he said. If that's
1: love, you can have it.
0: And in the film Birdman, he gives his life to the theater audience. He has to give more and more to the theater audience to satisfy his ego that can never be satisfied. And this idea of making your pain available for consumption is a message worth discussing. Yeah,
2: but we'll have to talk about it next time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I think this episode's actually already gone longer than usual.
0: So, next time we should transition to Synecdoche. Oh, yeah, because there's
2: definitely a lot of
0: that even on display exact- there. yeah.
2: <laughs> so, in the meantime, remind the listeners where they can hear more of you.
0: So, you can hear my show Life as a Playlist, and you can follow my Life as a Playlist pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you would like to hear more social commentary and feminist interpretation and autobiography of how i came to be the ranting feminist i am today
2: (laughs) (laughs) and you can hear us both on pump up the minute three times a week right now and you can follow it on pump up the minute on twitter facebook and instagram breaking down pump up the volume four minutes at a time and there's plenty of commentary on on the world and the state of things in that show so enjoy (laughs) Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CockBullMinute. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com.
1: Well, the place was in New York City, and the hour was growing late. We had walked from the streets of Harlem to the Greenwich Village Gate. We were young and foolish and trying out for fame. He said James Dean was his name, and I held the rose that he gave me for an hour. Uh, are you telling me you built a time machine?
0: Out of a, a Mandalorian? Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of the coward.
1: The, uh... It's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You're still here? You just don't turn it off! It's over. Go home. Go.